Psalm 45, Part 3 of Expositions on the Book of Psalms, Volume 2. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Expositions on the Book of Psalms, Volume 2 by St. Augustine of Hippo. Psalm 45, Part 3. 17, Verse 6. Thy throne, O God, is for ever and ever, because God has blessed thee for ever, on account of the grace poured over thy lips. Now the throne of the Jewish kingdom was a temporal one, belonging to those who are under the law, not to those who are under grace. He came to redeem those who are under the law, and to place them under grace. His throne is for ever and ever. Why? For that first throne of the kingdom was but a temporal one. Whence, then, have we a throne for ever and ever? Because it is God's throne. Thy throne, O God, is for ever and ever. O divine attribute of eternity, for God could not have a temporal throne. Thy throne, O God, is for ever and ever. A scepter of direction is the scepter of thy kingdom. The scepter of direction is that which directs mankind. They were before crooked, distorted, they sought to reign for themselves, they loved themselves, loved their own evil deeds. They submitted not their own will to God, but would fain have bent God's will to conformity with their own lusts. For the sinner and the unrighteous man is generally angry with God, because it reigns not, and yet would have God not be angry with himself, because he is profligate. And it is pretty much for this very reason that men sit daily to dispute against God. This is what he ought to have done, this he has not well done. Thou forsooth seest what thou doest. He knows not what he does. It is thou that art crooked, his ways are right. When wilt thou make the crooked coincide with the straight? It cannot be made to coincide with it. Just as if you were to place a crooked stick on a level pavement, it does not join onto it. It does not cohere, it does not fit into the pavement. The pavement is even in every part, but that is crooked, it does not fit into that which is level. The will of God, then, is equal, thine own is crooked. It is because thou canst not be conformed unto it, that it seems crooked unto thee. Rule thyself by it. Seek not to bend it to thine own will, for thou canst not accomplish it. That is at times straight. Wouldst thou abide in him? Correct thou thyself. So will the scepter of him who rules thee be unto thee a rule of direction. Thence is he also called a king, from ruling, for that is no ruler that does not correct. Hereunto is our king a king of right ones, just as he is a priest, Sacados, by sanctifying us, so is he our king, our ruler, by ruling us. But what says he elsewhere? With the holy thou wilt be holy, and with the upright man thou wilt show thyself upright. With the pure thou wilt show thyself pure, and with the froward thou wilt show thyself froward. Not that God's ways are crooked, but that they whose ways are crooked think his ways are crooked. Does goodness please thee? God is good. Does it displease thee? He is to thee as if unrighteous. Unto thee God is crooked. This is the effect of thine own crookedness, for his righteousness remaineth for ever. Here in another psalm, how good is God unto Israel, unto such as are right in heart. 18. Verses 6 and 7. A rod of direction is the rod of thy kingdom. Thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. 
see there the rod of direction described thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity draw near to that rod let christ be thy king let him rule thee with that rod not crush thee with it for that rod is a rod of iron an inflexible rod thou shalt rule them with a rod of iron and break them in pieces like a potter's vessel some he rules others he breaks in pieces he rules them that are spiritual he breaks in pieces them that are carnal draw near then to that rod what fearest thou in it this is the whole of that rod thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity what dost thou fear but perhaps thou wert thyself unrighteous for thou hearest of thy king that he hateth iniquity and thou fearest thou hast what to do what is it that he hates iniquity is it thee but there is iniquity in thee god hates it do thou hate it too that the same thing may be hated by you both for so wilt thou be the friend of god if thou hate what he hates so wilt thou also love what he loves be displeased with thine own unrighteousness take delight in that which he created for thou art an unrighteous man i apply to thee two words the two words man and unrighteous out of these two names one expresses thy nature the other thy fault the one god made for thee the other is thine own work love what god made hate that which thou thyself hast made in that he himself hates it also see how thou art already beginning to become united to him now that thou hatest what he hates he will hereafter punish sin for the rod of his kingdom is a rod of direction but let him not punish sin nay he cannot but punish it sin is to be punished if it were not what must be punished it would not be sin anticipate him thou wouldst have him not punish it do thou punish it for it is for this very reason that he still spares thee still reprieves thee still withholds his hand still bends his bow that is his threatenings would he so loudly declare that he was about to smite thee if he wished to smite thee he is then holding back his hand from the punishment of thine offences but do not thou hold back turn thyself to the punishment of thine offences for unpunished offences cannot be punishment therefore must be executed either by thyself or by him do thou then plead guilty that he may reprieve thee consider an instance from that penitential psalm hide thy face from thy sins did he mean from me no for in another passage he says plainly hide not thy face from me turn then thy face from my sins i would have thee not see my sins for god's seeing is animadverting upon hence too a judge is said to animadvert animum advertere on that which he punishes i e to turn his mind on it to bend it thereon even to the punishment of it inasmuch as he is the judge so too is god a judge turn thou thy face from my sins but thou thyself if thou wouldst have god turn his face from them turn not thine own face from them observe how he proposes this to god in that very psalm i acknowledge he says my transgression and my sin is ever before me he would fain have that which he wishes to be ever before his own eyes not be before god's eyes a rod of direction is the rod of thy kingdom let no one flatter himself with fond hopes of god's mercy his sceptre is a sceptre of righteousness do we say that god is not merciful 
what can exceed his mercy who shows such forbearance to sinners who takes no account of the past in all that turn unto him so love thou him for his mercy as still to wish that he should be truthful for mercy cannot strip him of his attribute of justice nor justice of that of mercy meanwhile during the time that he postpones thy punishment do not thou postpone it for a sceptre of righteousness is the sceptre of his kingdom nineteen thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity therefore god thy god hath anointed thee it was for this reason that he anointed thee that thou mightest love righteousness and hate iniquity and observe in what way he expresses himself therefore god thy god hath anointed thee i e god hath anointed thee o god god is anointed by god for in the latin it is thought to be the same case of the noun repeated in the greek however there is a most evident distinction one being the name of the person addressed and one his who makes the address saying god hath anointed thee o god thy god hath anointed thee just as if he were saying therefore hath thy god o god anointed thee take it in that sense understand it in that sense that such as the sense is most evident in the greek who then is the god that is anointed by god let the jews tell us these scriptures are common to us and them it was god who was anointed by god you hear of an anointed one understand it to mean christ for the name christ comes from chrism this name by which he is called christ expresses unction nor were kings and prophets anointed in any kingdom in any other place save in that kingdom where christ was prophesied of where he was anointed and from whence the name of christ was to come it is found nowhere else at all in no one nation or kingdom god then was anointed by god with what oil was he anointed but a spiritual one for the visible oil is in the sign the invisible oil is in the mystery the spiritual oil is within god then was anointed for us and sent unto us and god himself was man in order that he might be anointed but he was man in such a way as to be god still he was god in such a way as not to disdain to be man very man and very god in nothing deceitful in nothing false as being everywhere true everywhere the truth itself god then is man and it was for this cause that god was anointed because god was man and became christ twenty this was figured in jacob's placing a stone at his head and so sleeping the patriarch jacob had placed a stone at his head sleeping with that stone at his head he saw heaven opened and a ladder from heaven to earth and angels ascending and descending after this vision he awaked anointed the stone and departed in that stone he understood christ for that reason he anointed it take notice what it is whereby christ is preached what is the meaning of that anointing of a stone especially in the case of the patriarchs who worshipped but one god it was however done as a figurative act and he departed for he did not anoint the stone and come to worship there constantly and to perform sacrifice there it was the expression of a mystery not the commencement of sacrilege and notice the meaning of the stone the stone which the builders refused this is become the head of the corner notice here a great mystery 
the stone is christ peter calls him a living stone disallowed indeed of men but chosen of god and the stone is set at the head because christ is the head of the man and the stone was anointed because christ was so called from his being anointed and in the revelation of christ the ladder from earth to heaven is seen or from heaven to earth and the angels ascending and descending what this means we shall see more clearly when we have quoted the testimony from the lord himself in the gospel you know that jacob is the same as israel for when he wrestled with the angel and prevailed and had been blessed by him over whom he prevailed his name was changed so that he was called israel just as the people of israel prevailed against christ so as to crucify him and nevertheless was, in those who believed in Christ, blessed by him over whom it prevailed. But many believed not, hence the halting of Jacob. Here we have at once blessing and halting, blessing on those who became believers, for we know that afterwards many of that people did believe, halting, on the other hand, in those who believed not. And because the greater part believed not, and but few believed therefore that a halting might be produced he touched the breadth of his thigh what is meant by the breadth of the thigh the great multitude of his descendants notice then that ladder our lord says in the gospel when he beheld nathaniel behold an israelite indeed in whom is no guile for so it is said of jacob himself and jacob was without guile dwelling in an house the Lord recalling to his mind and seeing Nathanael a man of that people and nation to be a man without guile. Behold, he says, an Israelite indeed, in whom is no guile. It was on account of Jacob that he called him an Israelite without guile, and that Nathanael says, Whence knowest thou me? And the Lord says, When thou wert under the fig tree, I saw thee i.e. when thou wert among that people placed under the law which sheltered that people with its carnal shadows i saw thee there what is meant by i saw thee there i took compassion upon thee there he however remembering that he had been literally also under a fig tree wondering as he believed himself to have been seen by no one when he was there confesses and says thou art the son of god thou art the king of israel who is it that says this he who had been told that he was an Israelite indeed, and that in him there was no guile. And the Lord said, Because I said unto thee, I saw thee under the fig tree, hast thou believed? Thou shalt see greater things than these. He is speaking with Jacob, with Israel, with him who placed the stone at his head. Thou shalt see greater things than these. What greater things? Inasmuch as Christ is now the head of the man, verily, verily, I say unto you, ye shall see heaven opened, and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. May the angels of God ascend and descend by that ladder. May that be realized in the church. The angels of God are those who preach his truth. Let them ascend and see it written, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Let them descend and see it written, that the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Let them ascend in order to elevate the great ones. Let them descend in order to nourish the little ones. Behold, Paul ascending, whether we be beside ourselves, it is to God. Behold him descending, or whether we be sober, it is for your cause. Behold him ascending, we speak wisdom among them that are perfect. Behold him descending, I have fed you with milk and not with meat. 
This is realized in the church. The angels of God do ascend and descend on the Son of Man, for the Son of Man is at once above, unto whom they ascend in heart, that is to say his head, and the Son of Man is below, that is to say his body. The members are here, the head is above. We ascend to the head, we descend to the members. Christ is there, Christ is here too. For were he there only and not here, how should we account for that speech, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? For in heaven, who could have given him annoyance? None, not the Jews, nor Saul, nor the devil, his tempter. No one could give him annoyance there. But it was as it is with the frame of the human body, the foot being trodden upon, the tongue crieth out. 21. Thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity, therefore God thy God hath anointed thee. We have been speaking of God who is anointed, i.e. of Christ. The name of Christ could not be more clearly expressed than by his being called God the Anointed. In the same way in which he was beautiful before the children of men, so is he here anointed with the oil of gladness above his fellows. Who then are his fellows? The children of men, for that he himself as the Son of Man became partaker of their mortality in order to make them partakers of his immortality. 22. Verse 8. Out of thy garments is the smell of myrrh, amber, and cassia. Out of thy garments is perceived the smell of fragrant odours. By his garments are meant his saints, his elect, his whole church, which he shows forth as his garment, so to speak, his robe without spot and wrinkle, which, on account of its spots, he has washed in his blood, on account of its wrinkles extended on his cross. Hence the sweet savour which is signified by certain perfumes there mentioned. Here Paul, that least of the apostles, that hem of that garment, which the woman with the issue of blood touched and was healed, hear him saying, We are a sweet savour of Christ in every place, both in them that are saved and in them that perish. He did not say, We are a sweet savour in them that are saved, and a foul savour in them that are lost, but... As far as relates to ourselves, we are a sweet savour both in them that are saved and in them that perish. That a man should be saved by a sweet savour is not improbable or incredible. But that a man should perish through a sweet savour, how is it to be accounted for? It is a thing of great force, it is a great truth, and it is so even if it cannot be comprehended. For that you may understand that it is hard to be comprehended, he immediately added, and who is sufficient for these things? Who can understand that men perish by a sweet savour? Something, however, I would say on this, brethren. Behold, when Paul himself was preaching the gospel, many loved him. As the preacher of the gospel, many envied him. They who loved him were saved by the odour of sweet savour. They who envied him perished by means of that sweet savour. To them that perished then he was not a foul savour, but a sweet savour. For it was for this very reason they the more envied him, the more excellent that grace was which reigned in him. For no man envies him who is unhappy. He then was glorious in the preaching of God's word, and in regulating his life according to the rule of that rod of direction. And he was loved by those who loved Christ in him who followed after and pursued the odour of sweet savour,
who loved the friend of the bridegroom, that is to say, by the bride herself, who says in the Song of Songs, We will run after the sweet savour of thy perfumes. But the others, the more they beheld him, invested with the glory of the preaching of the gospel, and of an irreproachable life, were so much the more tortured with envy, and found that sweet savour prove death to them. End of Psalm 45, Part 3